So this is the part of our time together where we're going to crack open the Bible. And so if you've got your Bible with you, now is the moment to produce it. If you don't have a Bible, then get one. Get one, for uh, sure. Then get one, probably by downloading one in the first instance, but you could always order one online, I guess. So uh, there you go. One of the things I'm, I love most about this book is the questions it asks. Like, it's actually impossible to sit with the Bible for any length of time and to not feel the discomfort of it asking questions of my heart or my soul or my character or the way that I live. And, um, you know, day by day, sitting with this book does me so much good. And, and I love that. I absolutely, absolutely love that because, you know, so much of my life has felt like it's on hold the last few months, but I don't want to be on hold. You know, I, I, I want to grow. I want to change. I don't want this to be the end of things, you know, I, I, and neither does my wife. Uh, I want to keep growing. I want to grow my relationship with God. I want to grow my sense of who I am, my identity in God. I want to grow in my character. I want to grow in my relationships with my family and my friends and all of that. And, and for those things, this Bible asking me deep questions is such a beautiful, precious gift to me. Uh, if you stop to think about it, actually, um, uh, the Bible ask loads of questions, but one of the questions that comes across over and over and over again in the scriptures is this. What are you doing with what you've been given? What are you doing? What are you doing with what you've been given is a huge question that I think just gets asked a gazillion times. Just stop to think about it for a moment. If you think about the parables that Jesus told, so many of the parables have at the heart of them this question, what are you doing with what you've been given? Just think, for example, of you know Jesus' teaching. He says, you are the light of the world. And then his question is, so what are you going to do about that? Are you going to hide that under a bowl or are you going to let that light shine? He tells a parable about a man who's going on a journey and he gives his servants bags of gold and he says, I want you to do something with that whilst I'm away. And then he comes back and what he wants to know is, what did you do with it? What did you do with what you've been given? Um, or the parable of the sower. You know, God's word comes into our lives, but then we don't all respond to God's word in the same way. We all have a responsibility to do something with it. I could go on and on. In fact, I counted uh, 33 parables or sections of teaching from the Gospels that directly seem to ask this question. What is it that you're doing with what you've been given? And I think our passage today, which is going to be in Philippians chapter 4, really helps us to think through what, what does it mean to live out an answer to that question well? You know, how could we live our lives in such a way as we answer the question, what are you doing with what you've been given really well? So Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. This is drawing quite near to an end our series that we've been doing called The Prison Letters. And Philippians chapter 4, going to read from verse 10. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to, to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, it's like I said, it seems to me that all of Scripture is urging us to have a great answer to the question, you know, well, God's given you some stuff. What are you doing with it? And um, Paul is teaching us how to answer that question well. And what I think is in this passage, he's giving us three basic principles to live by that will help. Three basic principles. And the first principle to live by is simplicity. In verse 12, borrowing from the great philosophers of his day, Paul says, I've learned the secret. That was their kind of, their obsession. They were obsessed with the secret, the hidden secret, the, the answer to life, the universe and everything, the secret to contentment. And Paul says, I've learned it. I, I can reveal to you the secret to contentment. Um, I, I would imagine that there's lots of people watching this right now who are desperate for the answer to con true genuine contentment and peace and um, you would think by looking at people living their lives around and about us you would think that the answer to contentment is to have more and better possessions you know you might hear someone say oh you've only got an iphone 7 oh you poor thing no wonder you're lacking in contentment you know or oh android Oh, Android, yeah. Uh, let me lead you towards contentment by buying something a bit more impressive. Or, or you might think that actually the secret to contentment is, is a, a secure financial cushion. You know, like if I just have the right investments and the right amount of savings and the right pension scheme and the right life assurance and so on, actually, do you know what? I'm gonna be all right. There isn't very much that can rob me of my contentment. Well, if only that were true. If only that were true. But Paul says in this passage, there's nothing necessarily wrong with having a phone or a pension. He says, I know what it is to have plenty. But if you're looking for peace and contentment and true freedom, and you're looking towards your possessions, you're looking in the wrong place. You can own nothing and be content. You can own everything and be content. And in a sense, what he's wanting to do is break the link, 
you know, the link in our minds between, we might think contentment equals possessions. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not what this is about. He says, peace doesn't come from possessions. It comes from a person. That's in verse 12. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through, come on, Paul, tell us what the answer is. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, him. And he's talking, of course, about Jesus. In other words, I don't need to bolster my life with you know, an extravagant and expansive wardrobe. I don't need to, to, to make my life um, fuller by having a super fast car. That's not how this works. That's not where contentment comes from. Contentment, true peace, true freedom comes from Jesus. And he's the source of my peace, my contentment, my joy, my value, my worth. And that's why Jesus tells that parable in Luke chapter 12, where he talks about the guy who has this bumper crop, you know, a totally unexpected crop from his harvest. And, and of course, in that moment, he's got all these options, you know, what could I do with it? And his decision is, I'm going to just build bigger barns. You know, he could have given it to the local food bank. He could have, uh, you know, given it to Ethan to do his, his um, sponsored walk. But instead, he says, I'm just going to build bigger barns. And Jesus says to him, you fool. You fool. So that's the first principle to live by, simplicity. The truth is, we don't need what we think we need. Second principle to live by is <coughs> generosity. What's clear in this passage is that Paul is so delighted. He's so thrilled with what they've done. And what they've done is they've gathered up some money and they've sent it with Epaphroditus to give it to him as a gift because he's in need. And he's so thrilled. You know, if, if the question is, what are you doing with what you've been given? Then extravagant generosity is a great answer to have. I read about a study carried out um, amongst university students who had a driving license. And the question was something like this. It, it was, uh, how would you rate the quality of your driving? And 93% of the people interviewed said that they rated their driving uh, as better than average. Well, that doesn't work, does it? You know, what that shows us is that there are some people who think that they're brilliant drivers and they're actually terrible drivers. <clears throat> but... <laughs> Uh, the same is true of generosity. You know, most people think that they're generous. You don't meet many people in life who say, do you know what, I'm actually just really, really, really mean. You don't meet people like that. Most people think they're generous, but we can't all be. So what is, what is true generosity? Well, Paul gives us three marks of true, genuine generosity. The first one is, if I give more than is needed if I give more than is needed. We don't know how much food Paul had left by the time Epaphroditus got there. But we know 
that once he's received their gift, verse 18, he says, I have more than enough now. I'm amply supplied. Now, what was it? Did, did they send Epaphroditus the time before and say, Epaphroditus, just go along, go to where Paul is and find out exactly what he needs down to the, you know, the shillings and pence. And did he go there and say, how much do you need? Oh, 211 pounds, 17 pence. And he went back, he said, okay, 211 pounds, 17 pence is what Paul needs. And they went, Right, we'll write out a cheque for £217.17 and make sure you get a receipt. That's not what they did, was it? That wasn't what they did. They did the opposite of that. They went, do you know what, let's give as much as we possibly can. And that's where the balance of power comes in uh, true generosity. It goes way beyond what do they need. And, And it's more in the territory of what could we give if we really went for it? True generosity. Second mark of true generosity is giving more than is comfortable. Most of us, unless we think really carefully about it, we give what we think we can comfortably afford. We give out of our excess. You know, we think, well, uh, how much have I got got left at the end of the month? Well, I'll, I'll perhaps give a portion of that. Most of us have month left at the end of the money rather than money left at the end of the month. But so we don't have much surplus. But what we give, we think, well, maybe I'll give generously out of that. Well, that's not what the Philippians do. What we know from elsewhere in the New Testament is that when Paul is raising money for widows and orphans in Jerusalem who who faced uh, persecution and famine, we know that they're like, hey, we're going to give to that. And he uses the Philippian church as an example of real generosity. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, he says this, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, this is the Philippians, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability to give. So the point is that, that their generosity comes at a significant cost to their own comfort. True generosity is when I give beyond what is comfortable. The third thing is uh, um, real, truly generous giving is giving that goes beyond grand gestures. You know, actually it's quite easy to suddenly one Christmas just go, do you know what, I'm gonna really spoil that person rotten. Here's a great big extravagant gift. But it's clear from the text that that for the, for the Philippians, it's way beyond that. This is like a, a way of life. This is a habit. This is something that happens all the time. And so, um, for example, in verse 15, he says that they were the only church to support him when he set out from Macedonia. And then when he got to Thessalon- Thessalonica, they sent him more than one gift then. And then we also know that he was, when he was taking up the offering for the widows and orphans in Jerusalem, they also gave to that thing. And now here he is in prison, probably in Rome, and they're sending another gift with Epaphroditus. This is something that they've done again and again and again. This is a commitment. This is a discipline. This is something that they do as a, a lifestyle, as a, as a way of life. A truly generous person doesn't just give one-off big extravagant gifts, grand gestures. Actually, we know that, don't we? If you think about the most generous person you know, 
I guarantee that, that it's just like something they do every day, isn't it? And actually probably the other thing is they're probably the most joyful person you know, which is strange, isn't it? Because you would think that people who give away everything that they have are miserable, but it's just not true. So principle number, tr number one, simplicity. Principle number two, generosity. And the last one, principle number three, partnership. In the very start of the Gospels, when, when Jesus calls the first disciples, you discover that they've all come from different backgrounds and four of them are fishermen. So Simon and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John, they are fishermen. And actually what you discover is that they're not only fishermen, they're in a business partnership, all four of them together. You can see that in Luke chapter five. Simon Peter, he's met Jesus. Jesus has facilitated this enormous catch of fish. It's a, a miracle. And Simon Peter says to Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And he's astonished at this enormous catch of fish. And it says, so were James and John, Simon's partners. So there's this word koinonia actually is the Greek. It, it just means, you know, business partners, people who sh had a shared responsibility for what they were doing. And that word that has a kind of business partnership, uh, shared responsibility, mutual carrying of the burden. That's the word that is used throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, and so in Philippians chapter one, way back at the start in verse four, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And he's not meaning like, Oh, because you occasionally send up a prayer at a prayer meeting. No, no, no. He, he's meaning money. He's meaning that they're, they're, they're keeping him going. They're, they're joining in with the thing. And uh, then in verse 14 of our passage today, he says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And again, he's not just meaning, oh, you know, you've commiserated with me. No, no, this, you've partnered with me. It's the same word. It's good of you to partner with me in my troubles. And then in verse 15, he says, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared or partnered with me except you only. And so Paul is really clear that the gospel mission happens most effectively in partnership. Right. So, so true generosity and, and, and what he's commending them for is that they've joined in with him in his mission. And so he's able to say, well, from where they are in Philippi, their money has enabled the gospel to be preached, first of all, in Macedonia, and then churches to be planted there, and then in Thessalonica, and then their money has been used to feed widows and orphans in Jerusalem, and uh, now it's supplying Paul's needs whilst he's in prison. So the question is, you know, what, what are they doing with what God's been giving them. They're using that money. They're using their resources to partner with the people of God to do mission, to see churches planted and to see people fed and to see the gospel spread around the known world. Do you see, he, he's saying here are three simple principles that if you were to live those out in your life, actually you would have a great answer to the question, what are you doing with what you've been given? They were embracing simplicity. They were living generously and they were pooling their resources and partnering together to change the world. I just want to finish by saying this. Uh, I, I'm sure Taryn would say if she was speaking right now, 
We are so proud to belong to a church like this. You are such a generous church, such a generous family. You know, I'm so thrilled to, to participate with so many others in pooling our resources to see all kinds of amazing things happen, not just in the northeast of Scotland, but actually all over the world. And I just want to say this, let's never stop doing that. Let's never stop. Let's just keep being marked by generosity. Let's make sure that, that we have a great answer to the question, what are you doing with what you've been given? Let's pray, shall we? And so, Lord, we just call to mind now everything that you've placed into our hands as individuals, as families, as households, as a church. Thank you for trusting us with those things. And we pray, Jesus, that by your spirit, you would help us to, to know what to do with the things that you've given us. We want to be good stewards of everything. And please would you, by your spirit, just show us where we could do better. As uncomfortable as it is for you to ask us questions, we need it. And earlier on, I was talking about contentment and peace. And I was saying that actually the only source of true contentment and peace is Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. You know, we can uh, feather our nests, as it were, with as many possessions as, as we like. We can, we can try to uh, build up a solid financial cushion, but ultimately, true peace, true freedom comes from knowing our maker, knowing our creator, being in friendship with God. And so I just want to make an opportunity now for anyone who is watching this. There may just be one or two people, it may be many more than that, either watching it live or on catch up, who don't know Jesus, or you're not sure if you do, but you know that you need more contentment and peace in your life. And I'm just going to say a prayer one line at a time. And if you would want to say that prayer wherever you are, either out loud or, or silently in your own heart, Jesus would hear every word and you could become a Christian and you could know the kind of peace that will just blow your mind. And there are probably hundreds and hundreds of people watching this who uh, could testify to that. And if you're watching this live at the same time, you might just want to press the button that says, I commit my life to Jesus just as a public statement of what you're doing right in the core of who you are. So let's pray together. My Father in heaven, I'm so sorry I haven't lived my life with you or for you. I really want that to change. I want to know a peace which passes all understanding. I want to know a contentment like I've never had before. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Father, I receive your forgiveness. 
I turn from my previous life in a sense and I, I choose a life with Jesus. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live my life with you and for you from now on. Amen.